Amen. What a wonderful evening already. Worship has just been so sweet. I love that um, we serve a God who loves to bring us together, who loves when we come together and we worship together, that even if there's only one or two of us in, in our room tonight, that He is in our midst. And so welcome to July Eras Gathering. Welcome to my home. I'm so thankful that you guys are here. I'm surrounded by some of my favorite people. So excited to have you guys here and to welcome you into my home. And um, I'm just so thankful that we get to worship God together today. So a couple months ago, um, I was at a an Arise planning meeting and Melody voluntold me um, that I needed to um, prepare a message that she wanted me to share. And so I immediately began to just pray and seek the Lord and ask Him, what is it that you want your daughters to know? What is it that you want your children to know? And as I was praying and seeking the Lord, He really began to do a work in me and really began to um, change the way that I view my faith, to change the, the way that I view my life. And so I just, as I continued to allow God to do this work in me, I genuinely believe that this is a word that God wants me to share with each and every one of you. And so I'm so thankful that you guys have said no to everything else in your life to say yes to this. Um, You could be anywhere in the world. It's the middle of the summer and you choose to come before the throne of God. And so I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful for your your hearts. I'm thankful for what you do for Arise and I'm thankful for what you do for the kingdom of God. And so I'm gonna go ahead and just jump right in. I have a lot that I want to share with you guys this evening. I'm so excited to share because God has just been stirring this word in my heart and I'm just excited to pour it out today. And so I really want to talk to you guys today about the fact that God has established you where you are, when you are for a very specific reason. And this is who God is. It's what he does. It's what he's done from the very beginning. And so I want to start this evening. We're going to be reading in the book of Genesis in chapter 12. And so as you get there, as you turn your phones on and find your passage of scripture, you turn to that page um, in your Bible. I have a question for you. Um, and the question is, have you ever wondered why God chose the specific plot of land of what we call the modern state of Israel? Like you're probably all shaking your head no and thinking, no, Kayla, we don't ask ourselves those questions because we're not nerds. Like we don't think about that. But that is a question that I have been consumed with for years. I had the opportunity to visit Israel a couple years ago And while I was there, I realized that the nation is incredibly small, that it's literally only, it's less than 300 miles long north to south and less than 90 miles long east to west. It only takes seven minutes for an Israeli jet to get from the most northern part of Israel to the most southern part of Israel. And it tends to be very arid. The soil isn't that, isn't that, um, it's not full of as much nutrition as as it needs to, for plants to grow. Um, And it's been a constant state of war in that land. And so I started thinking like of all the places on earth, like why would God choose this plot of land? Like where there's not that much fresh water, the soil isn't that great, it's kind of hot, it's kind of dry, and it's like super teeny tiny. And so I started to ask this question and I started to do some research and 
What I realized was that God had chosen this plot of land for a very specific reason. And so I'm gonna talk about that this evening. Um, And so we're just gonna go ahead and read in Genesis chapter 12, verses one through seven. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abram traveled throughout the land and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, Spring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So I wanna sort of break this down for a second because what we see here is that God is maneuvering his man from the place where he was and he's taking him somewhere new. And so God comes to Abram and he says, listen, I need you to pack your bags and to go to the land that I'm gonna show you. And he leads him to Canaan. He takes him from Haran to Canaan. And we wonder, that's what we know is the modern state of Israel. And this question of like, why this plot of land? Of all of the land that he could have settled in prior to Canaan, why didn't he settle there? Why was this plot of land so important? And so in order to understand the spiritual significance of the land that we call the modern state of Israel of Canaan in this time, we have to sort of have an understanding of the geopolitical world in that time. So Israel, Canaan at the time, while very small, um, actually played a very important role in international trade. In fact, it served as a land bridge between Europe, Asia, and Africa. And so any trade, any international trade that was going to take place between anybody in any of those countries had to involve traveling through this plot of land. In fact, right through the heart of this plot of land was something called the International Trade Highway. And this was exactly where people from Asia would come to to European areas and to to Africa and to Egypt, and they would all and they would all come through this plot of land um, to get to each other to buy, sell, and trade. If you wanted to buy, sell, or trade anything, this is where you came. Now, this was a very important plot of land because this international trade highway was highly sought after. In fact, it was also called the King's Highway because every king wanted to control it. Why? Because it meant wealth for their kingdom. And so we actually see with King Solomon, the third monarch in Israel, um, he actually placed three tax stations along this international trade highway and it resulted in massive wealth for the nation of of Israel at that time. And so this played a very important role in the world. Anybody who was anybody was coming through this land. But We all know that God doesn't work in the way of establishing his people where he wants so that they can get rich or get famous or make themselves successful. God doesn't need your money. God needs your heart. God wants your heart. And so while this played, and because this played a very important part in the geopolitical world of the day, God placed Abram in this land because he was the first 
monotheist in his time. So during this day and time, every single nation, most people in the world at that time were what we call polytheists. They worshiped more than one God. And yet when God called Abram, he, Abram began to become the father of Christianity, the father of, of Judaism, and he became the first monotheist. So what we see is that as all these nations were coming in to the land of Canaan, they would have interacted with Abraham. It says that Abraham literally traveled the land that God gave him. He didn't settle in one place. He actually scoped the land out. He took possession of the land God gave him. And so as he was intermingling and meeting people and talking to people, they were taking this new faith, this new religion with them into the world where they came from. And so what God was doing was creating a space for Abram to become the first missionary. But not the missionary in what we would call, um, you know, you pack your bags and you move to a foreign nation. God didn't send Abram to the nations. God sent the nations to Abraham. And so what we see in a few chapters later is that God not only moves his man and establishes him in the land that he's called him to be in, he actually changes his identity. Mm-hmm. He, he goes from Abram, meaning father, to Abraham, meaning father of many. And what's really interesting about this is that many Hebrew scholars will actually tell you that the, the significance of that one letter, Melody and I took Hebrew together. She's still taking it. I'm taking a break. Um, but we took our first class of Hebrew together and what we learned was that every single letter in the Hebrew alphabet has a value and significance. And so in Judaism, one of the names that they have for God is Hashem. And that his name starts with the letter Hey, which the English transliteration would be the letter H. And so what God did was he took the first letter of his name, the letter that would have identified him, and he put it in the center of Abraham's name. And he put it at the end of Sarah's name. And so he was giving them their identity, a new identity. He established them in the land he was giving them to possess, and he changed their identity. Now, and, and what we see is that God is establishing his man in the world's marketplace, and he's changing his identity so that those around him would see the one true God, Yahweh. And in the same way that God has established Abram and his family in this plot of land, I believe that God has established each and every single one of you yeah. in your spheres of influence, in your communities, in your families, in your workplaces for the purpose of building his kingdom. In Acts chapter 17, it says, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of wow. their lands. Wow. God did this, why? So that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him to find him, though he is not far from any of us. It's so beautiful that God has established you in this specific time, that he has called you to this specific time and this specific place where you are. We were just talking a few minutes ago about you coming to West Virginia, that God established you here for this time, for this season. Why? So that those around you would seek him and find him. God has marked the time which you are living and established the boundaries that you live in. And it's not an accident. In the same way it wasn't an accident that God sent Abram to Canaan, it's not an accident that God has placed you in this community, in this state, in this day and age. And it's not so you can make money or or die trying. It's not so you can get rich. It's not so you can make a name for yourself. It is so that those around you would seek him and find him because he is not 
far off. Actually, um, Habakkuk 2.14, this is one of, my, one of my favorite books, is the book of Habakkuk, and it says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It is God's deepest desire that his presence would fill every crevice, every canyon, every area of this earth, that the knowledge of his glory would, would cover this earth as the waters cover the sea. And that is so beautiful. And how does he do that? He does it through us, by establishing us, by planting us so that those around us would seek him and his presence would grow all the more. In fact, I was, I was just reading um, in Isaiah this morning, um, and I'm just thinking about it now. Um, in Isaiah 26, it says, our desire is for your name and renown. Mm. Like, how beautiful is that? Like, that God's desire is for his name and his renown, and it should be our desire for his name and his renown. Um, I'm reading a book that Pastor Melody has been talking a lot about here lately called Slaying Dragons, and mm. there was a quote in the book that, man, it stuck out to me, and it said, Jesus didn't die just to get us into heaven. He died to get heaven into us and change the world. World through us, y'all. Jesus didn't sacrifice his life so that you could just get saved on earth and go to heaven one day. Hallelujah, we're in heaven. He died so that heaven would get into you, that it would get into the very deepest parts of who you are. And it would change who you are. It would change your identity and it would change the land that he has established you in. You know, um, one of my favorite things, we actually sing about this in worship, is that God changes our identity by bringing us into his family. Mm. You know, um, I actually, um, I love the fact that God calls us sons and daughters, that we're not orphans that have to scrap mm. for food, but we are sons and daughters of God, and he wants to give us, um, he wants to provide for us. And in Ephesians chapter two, verses 19, it says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Yes. Romans chapter eight says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. In John chapter one, it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When we accept Christ as our savior, when he pursues us and we surrender our hearts to him, he says, you are no longer your own. You are mine. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are a part of the family of God. And as believers, we are no longer strangers to God, but children of God, making us all one family, that we are the family of God. Of God, And as the family of God, our actions, our words, our reactions, the way we behave is no longer just representative of who we are and our character. It is a representation of our Father in heaven and our family yeah. here mm-hmm. on earth. Wow. I actually... Um, went to the same high school that both of my parents graduated from, and I had a lot of the same teachers that both of my parents had. And so when I entered um, Mount Hope High School, um, every year at the first day of school, the teacher would go through the role, and when they'd get to Kayla Kessinger, they would say, are you Michael Kessinger's daughter? And 
like fear just began to rise up in me because I had heard stories about my dad in school like was insane. And so I would always think, I would always say, yes, but please don't hold it against me. But what happened, what what happened was the people who I was around knew my father. They knew my father before me and my actions, my reactions, the answers to questions I gave and the answers I didn't give, my behavior wasn't just representative of me. It was a representative of my father who went before for me. Wow. And in the same way as my siblings came up behind me and had the same teachers as the rest of my family came up behind me, my reputation fell on them. They expected them to act in the same way that I acted wow. and respond the same the, the same way that I responded. And so our actions as the family of God are a direct wow. representation of who God is as our father mm-hmm. and who our family is around us. We take the name, the family name with us. Our family name goes with us everywhere we go, y'all. Actually, another quote from Daniel Kalinda says, if you call yourself a Christian, you have taken up upon yourself the name of Jesus, Mm. the name that is above every other name. Mm. That means his reputation is attached to yours and you had better take that seriously. Your actions, your behavior, your words, the way you respond, the way you react is not just a representation of you. It is a representation of the name that you claim, the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus. And it's not only a representation of you, but it is a representation of this family. And we have got to take that seriously. So now that we've acknowledged um, that God has established us where we are in the time that we are and that the purpose of our establishment has been to um, spread the gospel, to saturate the earth with his presence and so that those around us would seek him, the question then becomes, how do we do that? And so if you go to Matthew chapter 10, verse seven through eight, it says, and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, now give without pay. Now, Matthew chapter 28, I love this passage of scripture. It's the Great Commission. We hear about it all the time. So many messages preached about it. And our English translation has translated it to say, therefore go and make disciples of of all nations. But the Greek Septuagint has actually translated it to say, therefore going, or as you go, make disciples disciples of all nations. As you go, make disciples. It's not just about the destination. It's about the journey. It's about as we go, making disciples. And if you think about Jesus' ministry on earth, that's what he did. He didn't just go to Galilee and that was the only place that he healed. He didn't just go to specific area and heal. It said as he was leaving, somebody would call out and he would stop. As he was going, he would somebody as he entered in, those were the moments when he took time to to pour out the kingdom of God into these people's lives to heal the sick, to heal the leper, to to give a sense of belonging to those who need it. That means that if we are going to make disciples and spread the gospel and saturate the earth with his presence, we have to make disciples as we go. As we go, make disciples. And this starts by taking your own discipleship seriously. I cannot tell you the number of conversations I've had with people who immediately following their seven-hour binge watching of Netflix Mm -hmm. are coming to me and complaining because, oh, my pastor just isn't discipling me. My pastor isn't spending three hours two times a week with me, and I am just not getting what I need. Well, 
why did you spend seven hours watching Netflix when you could have taken your own discipleship seriously? We have got to get out of this mindset that our discipleship is somebody else's responsibility and we've got to stop thinking that the only way your friends are gonna hear about Jesus is if you invite them to church. Scripture tells us to study, to show yourself approved. It's not Pastor Melody and Pastor Brandon's job to tell your friends they need Jesus. It's your job to live your life out in front of them in the same way that Abraham, Abraham's life was his podium. Your life is your podium. You don't need a podium. You don't need a pulpit because your life is your podium. Your life is your pulpit. What is your faith speaking? What is your life speaking from this podium? What is your life speaking from this pulpit, from this podium? You know, most of Jesus' ministry, I just said, it took place as he was going. It took place outside of what we would call traditional religious settings. Mm-hmm. Jesus right. didn't spend a whole lot of time healing people in the synagogue or yep. the temple. He spent his time in the marketplace. Yep. He spent his time in the communities. He spent his time in homes. He spent his time at the lake. I love the lake. Y'all like the lake? I love the lake. So I just believe that as I'm going to the lake, I'm doing the work of God. I'm walking in the spirit. He, he, he did work at parties. This was how Jesus, He as he went, He was carrying the kingdom with him. And guess what? Your ministry should look a lot like that. Not every single one of us are gonna be called to pack our bags and move to the Amazon. Not every single one of us are gonna be called to pastor a church, but every single one of us are called to be a disciple and to make disciples as we go. You know, um, a couple weeks ago, I was just talking to my mom and um, my mother is such an incredible woman. I'm so blessed to have such a godly mom. And we were just talking and she said something to me that was so poignant and so profound. And she said, Kayla, don't just live your life and apply scripture. Live scripture and apply your life. And immediately I began to take inventory of my life and say, I have spent a lot of my life just living my life how I wanted and tacking Jesus on. Just figuring out, okay, I know the Bible tells me to do this, so I'm just gonna live my life over here and I'm just gonna fit him in. I'm gonna pencil him in where I can get him in. I'm just gonna tack him on to the life that I'm already living. So I had to take inventory of my life and adjust. Mm-hmm. and realize I have been living my life and just applying scripture, just saying, oh, well, I could just add this a little bit of Bible in wow. here yeah. instead of saying, this is what the Bible tells me to do and my life is gonna look yes. like that. Yeah. So good. Because at the end of the day, Jesus wants everything in us. He yeah. wants our entire life. Yeah. Yeah. He wants to fill every space of our mm-hmm. life. One of my favorite um, stories in the Old Testament is of the widow whose husband had racked up a lot of debt and he dies and they're coming, the debt collectors are coming and they're gonna take her sons and they're gonna, and they're gonna turn them into slaves and she goes to the prophet and she tells him this and he's like bring me as many jars as you can find all the jars give me all the jars and she sends her sons and they go and when they bring the last one she says is this the last jar there's no more they're like this is it and it says the prophet began to fill every jar that was brought every jar that was brought he filled it what if she had only brought three jars What if she had only brought one jar? Mm -hmm. The prophet would have filled it, but she would have missed out on everything God had for her. Mm -hmm. Jesus wants to fill every space of our lives, every jar that we have. He doesn't just want to fill the space where we have our Arise gathering Mm -hmm. on the second Wednesday of every month. He wants to fill your nine to five. He wants to fill every second, every moment. He wants it all. He wants the mundane things in your life. He wants your everyday tasks. He wants wants the moment when you're standing Mm -hmm. at your sink washing your dishes. He wants the moment when you're trying to clean your house and your kids are acting crazy.
crazy and you get a knock on your door and it's, un- and it's an unexpected visitor, he wants you to take the time out to pour into that person. That's right. That might not mean you get your house clean that day. You might have to take a little bit of time, but that's what he wants. He wants it all. What would our communities, what would our world look like if we saw every interaction, wow. every opportunity, every activity, every mm-hmm. task yeah. as an opportunity mm-hmm. to share the love of God, to saturate the world with his presence? Mm-hmm. What would it look like if we saw every opportunity as a kingdom mm-hmm. opportunity? Because the fact of the matter is, we as the, as the family of God carry the presence of God with us yes. everywhere yes. we go. Mm-hmm. And if we carry the presence of God with us everywhere we go, then everywhere we go should start to look like the kingdom of God. Wow. If we carry the kingdom, then everywhere we go mm-hmm. should look like wow. the kingdom. So I'm gonna ask you a question. I want you to be honest. You don't have to answer it. But I want, to, I want you to be honest with yourself. Does the land God has given you, does the area God has established you, and does your community look like the kingdom of God? Mm-hmm. Are the hungry being fed? Are there children without a mother? Are there, are there children without a father? Are there kids who are going without eating? Does your community look like the Does everybody have a place to belong? Mm-hmm. If not, then why? If, if God has established you where you are to bear the kingdom and to bring the kingdom into the land that he has called you into, then why does your community not look like the kingdom of God. Your home, that your community, that's that's too big of a deal. What about your home? Wow. Does your home look like the kingdom of God? Mm. Is your home a place where people can come and find belonging? Mm. Is your home a place where anybody can come and eat at your table? I, I listened to a sermon a couple weeks ago that said, um, Jesus even prepared a place at his table for Judas. Yeah. If Jesus, if Jesus can prepare a place for Judas, then can't you prepare a place for your annoying coworker who you know doesn't know Jesus? That is our goal. What would our communities, our homes, our workplaces begin to look like if we actually took this kingdom purpose seriously? The homeless would find a home. The fatherless would find a father. The thirsty would find a drink if we began to take this seriously. So how do we do this practically? You know, when I started to think about this in my own life, the Lord asked me a very straightforward question and He just asked me, when is the last time you inserted yourself into the life of someone you know is lost? And as I thought about that, I honestly couldn't think of a time. To be honest, I was like, I've been involved with the Rise. I have a Rise gatherings. I do all these Bible studies. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh, I'm so good. Like, I'm building the kingdom. Like, I'm doing everything I need to do. But yet I am not seeking and saving wow. that which is lost. Wow. And so God began to plant names in my heart. And I believe that God is going to plant names in your heart of people in your life who you know are not a part of the family of God. And what I had to do was I had to sit there and think to myself, okay, I've got this one particular friend. She's not a believer. She's not, she, she is not a part of the family of God. So I asked myself, what does she do? What does she enjoy? And I realized she walks every single day. And so I said to myself, I am gonna ask her to start walking with me one evening a week. And we started walking. And you know what I didn't do? I didn't go knock on her door and tell her to turn or burn. I didn't take my Bible and like force her to sit down and talk about theology with me. I just prayed before I went and asked the Holy Spirit to guide and direct our conversation. And it was so beautiful because as we were talking, she would ask me questions and I would be able to respond with, well, this is what God's doing in my life. This is what God is doing in our life. And it was organic. It wasn't weird and forced. It was just beautiful to see God open the door because I was obedient. And so I wanna ask you, who is it in your life who you know 
doesn't know the Lord, or you don't know, maybe you don't know if they know the Lord. Begin to insert yourself into their life. Live your life out in front of them. It can, you know, carrying the kingdom of God, saturating the earth with his presence can look like a rise gathering once a month. It can look like Bible studies. And we need to make sure that we have good godly friends that keep us strong. But it also looks like inviting your neighbor to dinner once a month. It looks like maybe offering to babysit the annoying kids down the street so their parents can have a break. It looks like hosting a party with like a block party. Like I've been really wanting, I've been, I have this desire to host a block party for everybody in my neighborhood. And again, I said it earlier and I'll say it again. Jesus loved to party. Jesus was the life of the party. Jesus makes everything better, including parties. He brings the better wine. Everything Jesus did was for the purpose of building the kingdom. And that's what life, that's what life as believers, as a family of God is about. And so in closing, I just want you to think about the fact that God has blessed us with this beautiful gift of calling us His family. And that our identity is no longer our own, but that our identity is found in Him. And I sort of want to close where I started. You know, I I, I shared the passage of Scripture in Genesis where God calls Abram into Canaan. And Abram begins to take possession of that land. But it wasn't until a couple generations later that that land became known as Israel. And in the world today, we we are called by the land we live in. We're Americans because we live in America. You're Italian because you live in Italy, like that type of things. You're European if you live in Europe. But in antiquity, the land was named for the people. And so God called Abraham, changed his identity, and took him to the land of Canaan where the Canaanites presided. And generations later, two generations later, God calls Jacob. And he he calls him out and he says, I'm going to use your family to establish my kingdom on earth. And he changes his name. He changes his identity. He changes it to Israel. And it wasn't until his descendants went in and took the land that the identity of the land was changed from Canaan to Israel. See, when God changes your identity, you change the identity of the land you possess. Are you possessing the land that God has given you? Are you recognizing the areas, the spheres of influence that God has allowed you to be a part of? Your community, your home, your family, your friend group. Are you taking possession of the land God has given you? He has given far too much for you to just sit there and build a tent and do nothing about it and not take possession and not change the identity of the community that you live in. And so I just, I wanna pray for you this evening. I wanna pray that the Lord would just begin to stir in your heart, to give you a sense of belonging in His family and to stir in your heart what He wants you to do and how He would have you begin to saturate the earth with His presence. But we're just so thankful for who you are, for the God that we serve. We're thankful that we get to call you Father. We're thankful that you allow us as majestic and holy and mighty as you are, that you allow us to come into your presence and to kneel at your feet and you pick us up and you dust us off and you call us daughter. God, help us to take that responsibility as the family of God seriously. Help us not to see this as just where we get all of the rights, but none of the responsibilities, God. We don't want just the benefits. We don't want a friend with benefits. We want a father whose purpose we can fulfill in our lives, God. And so Lord, I just pray for each and every woman, Lord, 
that you would just begin to stir inside of them areas where they can begin to saturate their communities with your presence, with the knowledge of the glory of God. I pray that you would begin to spark something inside of them that would stir curiosity in those around them to seek you because you are not far off. Thank you for making yourself available. Thank you for calling us sons and daughters. Help us to take that seriously and to take it with us everywhere we go, that as we go, we would make disciples as we go. Your presence would consume us, that your presence wouldn't follow us, but that we would follow your presence, God. Thank you so much for what you're gonna do in our communities as we surrender our hearts to you. And in Jesus' name, amen.